Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes. So we'll be completing, um, not completing, sorry, we'll be continuing uh, Bakano Light Novel 6. Um, so yeah, we cut to Firo, and he's surrounded by Isaac and Miria and other Martillo family members. They're all berating him for something he's done. Before the dominoes were fully set up, Firo had knocked them down. Isaac and Miria are saying that an apology cannot fix this tragedy. All of the other members are chiming in as well, and Fira is getting angrier and angrier. Then his fuse breaks and he snaps at Isaac and Mira, basically saying that they shouldn't be playing with dominoes to begin with. After yelling at them, Isaac and Mira run off half in tears, hysterical, and still calling him names. The rest of the Martillo family members are looking on and Fira sighs for the upteenth time, and then finally caves. He says he knows he overreacted and he shouldn't have yelled at them, I thought this was a pretty funny way to like start the plot line off, and the image of Fira just looking annoyed was real was really really good. At the time, I thought he just kind of did it by accident and was getting pummeled by insults a bit too much as well. That being said, Isaac and Miria, even when distraught, are still really funny and they act like babies too. But also to be fair, dominoes take so long to put up and Isaac and Miria tend to stack dominoes in a very illustrious way. Like, they're not just stacking them willy-nilly, they're almost making like an art piece. I do like that we continue with the dominoes from Volume 4, and in Volume 4, Fira thought that they were pretty silly. It is stated that Fira was enjoying himself putting them back up, so I guess he's warmed up to them now. So it's pretty clear that his outburst that playing dominoes should not be done was just inventing. He doesn't actually believe that. I think he's genuinely started to enjoy them. Moving along. Ronnie walks in and we find out that he's like the number two of the family. He begins talking about how there was a mysterious group that attacked construction workers the day before. Because of that, Isaac and Mira need to be careful. They did just run out of the Alvier then and now they're, in, now they're out in the open. So Ronnie tells Fira that he'll also look for them on the way. Fira says that he doesn't have to stress himself like that. When Fira was getting yelled at too, he was thinking about his rank and why he was getting disrespected despite his rank. I think his position of being an executive is really important to him and he seems to really respect authority within the family. So he does expect some sort of respect, but he also doesn't want the number two to deal with problems he may have started. Ennis also goes to look for Isaac and Miria, but as she passes Vero, she whispers in his ear that he should think of making a good apology to Isaac and Miria in the meantime. Vera agrees reluctantly, but he's also blushing. Vera and Ennis are a pretty cute duo, keen to see them like be together. I don't think they're dating or anything like that just yet, but hopefully soon. Vera sits down and then Miser sits next to him and we get a little reveal. Miser asks Vero why he knocked down the dominoes on purpose. Fira denies it at first, but after a bit of pushing from Miser, Fira confirms Miser's suspicion. Once again, Miser is very perceptive. Fira says that he's scared. He's seen Zillard's memories after eating him, and he doesn't really know what to do with them. That perhaps this is part of the curse of being immortal. So this is pretty interesting. I like that Fira eating Zillard has an effect on him. I mean, of course it would. He did end up eating a guy who's done so many crazy things in his life. I guess even if you gain knowledge of an intelligent person, that doesn't necessarily mean you gain understanding. Like from what I can gather, from what I can understand, Fira doesn't 
like necessarily um like understand Zillard's knowledge. That being said, I don't get why Fira toppled the dominoes on purpose. As in, what does being scared have to do with toppling dominoes? Like, what's Fira afraid of specifically? And how how does that result in knocking something over on purpose? I'm confused, but I'm sure more will be like revealed later. All in all, I like visiting the Matillo family. They actually do feel kind of like a family as well. Also, it's nice to like deep dive more into Fira's character and how he's changing. I'm keen to see where this is heading. Now, onto the next scene. Um, so now we cut to Dallas, and he's basically getting an explanation on how it all came to be. This is coming from Tim, one of the members of Lava. They're walking down with Dallas in the middle of like the road. Um, Dallas isn't particularly concerned about Zillard or anyone else in the story as far as immortality is concerned. But it's made clear to him that he's not a complete immortal. He can still die of old age. Dallas seems to be kind of interested, I mean kind of uninterested, but Tim asks, don't you want to know who killed Zillard? Dallas is still uninterested, but then Tim states, Firo Pochinezo. Now Dallas stops dead in his tracks. He calculates that this means Firo is still alive. He's a full immortal, and he can't kill him, and he can kill him. In that moment, Dallas felt like the weakest person in the world. I think it's clear that Dallas valued part of his worth based on enacting revenge on Firo. To see Firo so far above him came as quite a shock. I wonder if his hatred towards Firo will be used by Lava to manipulate Dallas, even into going against the like the Martillo family in the future, if that's what Lava wants. Or maybe Dallas does try to become a future like full-fledged immortal to try to kill Firo. Or maybe Firo being so far out of reach is further pushing him to like self-reflect in some way. Look, he believes like. Eve is in danger, and also the person I hate the most, which is Firo, will never die before my hands, or with, or through my hands. Like, what the hell am I doing with my life? So I'm curious to see how all of this with Dallas will unravel. Now, moving back to Firo and Miza, and I get some answers to some of the questions I had before when I read that portion with Firo and Miza. Um, so yeah, so Firo is looking through Zillard's memories, and he can't understand them but he's watched Zillard taking everything for himself without any regard for anyone else. The more people, um, like, the more the people have actually built themselves up, the more satisfied he was when he took it all away. Fira mentions that Zillard's experiences, like, moments of happiness, like, cruel happiness, but happiness nonetheless, um, then, and that level of happiness that he feels, um, when he, like, kind of takes stuff away from people, is greater in magnitude than when he became like an executive for the Martillo family. Because he's glimpsed someone feeling happier than him, there was a temptation he felt within him. Firo has been terrified that he could also give into that temptation, like the joy of taking from others so viciously. So he wanted to test it out in a harmless way, and stacking dominoes takes a really long time. Firo wanted to test if destroying something someone's built up for a long time would give him that happiness. So that's why he knocked down the dominoes that um, Isaac and Maria set. But when we saw how mad, but, but when he saw how mad Isaac and Maria were, he wanted to deck himself in the face. So it gives us hope that Firo won't turn out to be like corrupted by Zillard's memories, but it will torment him going forward. Now the next part is very vague and I'm not sure if I'm interpreting it correctly, 
but I'm going to give it a shot. Fira says that he wants to forget about Zilla's memories. Miser says he doesn't need to forget, he can accept them and then get past them. But the question is whether he can give up something that's holding him back without having to like accept it. So Fira asks, is it possible to even get over the past or your emotions all by yourself? Miser says that's something everyone actually has to worry about and do. That being said, he says that if it's a past you've actually experienced, it's probably best to give it some thought before you discard something. Miser says that people have the power to get rid of sorrow and pain for themselves. I think what's going on here is that Fira is thinking of dismissing Zillard's memories, but Miser is saying to accept them and go past them because they technically aren't his memories. But then Fira asks a more like general question like, can you just forget about the past and emotions? I think the reason why the question becomes more general is because Fira is feeling Zillard's feelings too. So it's hard for him to like differentiate between himself and Zillard's feelings. So in effect, Zillard's feelings and memories are in effect meshing with his, and they're effectively a part of Fira. I think the solution that Miser provides is what he would provide to any other person who's looking at their past too much. That Fira should think through the parts that are actually creating a reaction in Fira and memories of his own past too, and that he should discard the memories that aren't creating that. I think Miser believes that Fira can do this, and that's why he says, people have the power to get rid of sorrow and pain by themselves. It's all kind of vague, the more I think about it, but right after Miser says this, it's reinforced by the author to us that Miser was the one who summoned the demon. He was the first one to do that. I think it's implying that Miser did not believe that he had the power to get rid of the sorrow and pain by himself, so he summoned a demon in the past. So in effect, this sounds like a lesson that Miser had to learn. I thought this entire conversation was really interesting. I like that we're getting more into like Fira and Miser's characters too. I think this small scene will have large repercussions for the novel and will act as a major foreshadowing. I think that's why it's so vague right now. Really keen to see where this goes. Now we cut over to Isaac and Miria. I thought the previous scene was hard to grasp, but this is Isaac and Miria we're talking about. It's going to be nonsensical for the most part. Basically, they're talk. Uh, sorry. Basically, they're thinking of making Fira pay for toppling their dominoes as punishment. They're thinking of writing Gafun and giving it to him and other random stuff like that. Either way, um, Isaac says. Uh, like Fira stole his dreams, hope and time by toppling the dominoes, so he's declaring war on Fira, and what he'll do to make Fira apologize for every domino that's been knocked down. Until he does that, they're not going back. Despite this declaration, Maria mentions that they don't have a place to sleep. All their stuff is at the Alvier. Isaac says that his grand plan is that he knows other people than like Fira and the gang. And so they decide, essentially, to rely on other people. A really roundabout way of getting to that decision. Um, <laughs> like, I do wonder who those other people could be. When I think um, like of their friends, only Jacuzzi and Eve come to mind. Even with Eve, as they're, like, are they even considered friends? Maybe in Isaac and Miriam's eyes, they are. It would be cool to have Jacuzzi in this story, but with Eve already being part of this story, maybe it's most likely to be her. Also, I'm not sure if this scene is supposed to foreshadow themes or anything like that, 
like they do talk about like the Ten Commandments and Egyptians and these other things. This could all be important, um, but could also not be. Lastly, I really hope we get a scene where Firo is apologizing for like every single like domino piece, because I think that would be really really funny. Um, but yeah, that's a great scene. Now we move over to Ennis and Ronnie. They're both looking for Isaac and Miria. Ronnie gets into the middle of the street and then presses his fingers on his head. He says that he can see that Isaac and Miria are going to the location like he is, like where his job is. Ennis is confused at how Ronnie can sometimes know where lost things are, like he's able to see it with his eyes. She says that she gets the feeling that he's more akin to Zilla than other immortals. Ennis also has a memory of Ronnie, but she can't access it. I guess she feels a degree of familiarity with him. In order to look into those memories, we're told that Ennis should be very, very careful. So this is all very interesting. Ronnie, off the bat, stands out and seems to have powers. I'm really interested to seeing who and what he is. Also, he's connected to Ennis in some way. Is he another homunculus? Well, I feel like we did that already with the previous volume. It's probably something different. Though now, I feel like we're in the realm of like magic again. This doesn't smell like immortality or alchemy. But I mean, it could be. Uh, but yeah, I'm really keen to see like, what's going on. So we move back to Dallas. So he's walking with Tim and the rest of Lava and he's wondering, where are we going? They mention that they're arriving at Millionaire's Row. Dallas thinks to himself, like people like Tim shouldn't be there. Since Dallas came from wealth, he would understand things like that. Then he gets flustered because he realizes that it's his second home and his mind immediately turns to Eve. He's like, you better not have hurt her. But Tim reassures that it doesn't have anything to do with his sister. Instead, it has to do with a certain, like a certain group that's there. And according to Tim, they will be the sacrifices. Not much to say about this scene other than things are getting interesting. After that, we touch base with Maria and Tick. They're walking down Broadway and Maria is imagining all the violence she's going to make happen. Apparently, the negotiation is supposed to go down at a familiar place, Millionaire's Row. This was starting to get really exciting because Huey's group and Tick's group were going to arrive at the same place. That's not all. We find out that the group that's been like holed up at the mansion is none other than Jacuzzi Splot. This is perfect. We have three factions basically coming together and who knows what kind of chaos will go down. It's clear that Lava is going to put a wrench into the situation. This really reminds me of the three-way battle between the Black Suits, the White Suits and Nick from Jacuzzi's gang in the Railroad arc. Three factions were coming together into one carriage and they all enter it at once. It ends with Lad Russo playing boxing with the Black Suits. I'm keen to see what kind of chaos occurs at the Genoide residence. Oh wait, um, so with Jacuzzi's gang, there should be someone who the Lava members will recognize. Last time, Jacuzzi's gang picked up China Lafare. So as far as we know, they're still together. Now, I'm really interested to see what happens. So will China go with Lava? Will she have formed a bond with Jacuzzi's gang so she doesn't want them to be like sacrificial pawns? Also, what's the point of bringing Dallas over? Tim does say that he gets why Huey chose Dallas, and apparently it has something to do with his personality. That's that's very confusing. Um, like the more complex this story gets, uh, the better it is by all counts. So I'm really interested to seeing like where we head with this and 
seeing it all kind of culminate together at this one location. Now, we start chapter 2, and we're with Jacuzzi's gang. Once again, Jacuzzi is scared because he broke like a vase in um, Je- the Genoide residence. Because of this, he's overthinking everything and even considering like leaving the residence. I was wondering at this point how Jacuzzi came at the residence to begin with. Then John and Fang came along and it all kind of clicked. John's telling um, Jacuzzi to calm down and basically go apologize to Eve for breaking the vase. Turns out almost 20 members of Jacuzzi's crew were at Millionaire's Row, but Eve wasn't aware of that. John and Fang had earned her trust, and essentially they had asked if a couple of friends could like help clean out the place. I don't think she knows that like 20 people are in the residence. She also doesn't know that they are mafia members, and um, and uh, these days Jacuzzi's gang has been dealing in like Little Italy, which happens to be part of like the Gandor family's turf. So Jacuzzi's under the impression that since they're a small syndicate, nothing too bad should happen. But he's always on edge because of this. Like, as if any second now, he could get shot in the face or, like, impaled. So anxiety was running through him. Jacuzzi's men were also, like, starting to doubt him, saying, like, like, what, that, like, that's it? It's just a broken vase. Like, boring. Like, get over it. Uh, like, John wants Jacuzzi to be more of a leader. Jacuzzi's anticipation seemingly pays off as the doorbell rings. Now, Nice checks out who it is, and she reveals that it's Isaac and Miria. They knew Jacuzzi was living in the mansion because they had run into each other on the street. Apparently, a couple who dresses randomly and a guy with like a sword tattoo on his face stick out like a sore thumb. So, they ran into each other pretty easily. Regardless, Jacuzzi is really happy to see them. Isaac and Miria start talking about like being samurai and Bushido. I do wonder if these small mentions by Isaac and Miria... Like, like, are they going to um, like be relevant later on, or if they're just random bursts from them? Now, with Maria, so not Maria, Maria, the twin sword user, we also hear um, like different swordsman ideas, such as um, like clearing the mind and letting the sword cut anything and everything. Also, this chapter is titled "Spear and Knives and Japanese Katanas." I do wonder if Japanese katanas or what it means to be a samurai is slowly going to be like explored in this novel. Moving on, Isaac and Miria are still bad-mouthing Firo, but it's clear that they still really care for him. Despite trying to punish him, they immediately start trying to like make him happy somehow, or like planning for that. They really can't stay mad at Firo. At that moment, the doorbell rings again. Though this time, I feel like he might be something more sinister, or maybe it's Ronnie and Ennis. I don't know overall, I really enjoyed seeing Jacuzzi again. I really love his personality after the second volume. Knowing that he cries because he wants to get out all of the tears so he can, like when the time counts or matters, that he'll be ready. Um, that was really great. So I think we seem to be moving Jacuzzi towards becoming more of a leader maybe. We see John really trying to push him forward and he also wants Jacuzzi men to like respect him more. I do wonder how Jacuzzi will change in this novel. I don't think Jacuzzi will ever stop worrying, but I'm also like really interested to seeing him become more of a leader if that's what his like, character is supposed to become. Moving on, an interesting tidbit is when Isaac and Miriam were looking at the Genoide residence in awe, they talk about how it's reminiscent of their family homes. Does this mean that they're both rich kids as well? Like, this small reveal is kind of just left to dangle and I'm keen to see where this goes. Learning more about Isaac and Miriam sounds like a treat. 
I also thought um, that Isaac and Maria, like, reuniting with Jacuzzi was wholesome. Like, Jacuzzi is just watching on, seeing the antics before him, and he can't help but, like, smile and laugh. This was the same dynamic he had with them on the train as well. They immediately, like, get along, and I've noticed that when they're around, Jacuzzi's always smiling. So before finding out who's at the door, we go to um, Tick and Maria. They're both just walking down to the Millionaire's Row, and... Maria is wanting to just demolish everyone at that place. Tix says that she can't do that, and so Maria looks on like bored. Tix asks like why she wants to do that, and Maria explains that she wants to basically because it's a fun thing to do, and she wants to try cut everything that could possibly exist. She wants to cut people, maybe even trees, iron. She wants to t- she wants to like test that there's nothing that she cannot cut. She seems to be echoing ideas from a hitman like mentor who gave her the blade. I think it's interesting that she wants to keep cutting new things. I do wonder if she just endlessly wants to cut new things, or if she actually wants to test how many things that she can cut. Like, is she actually interested in testing the limits of the world, or does she want to just keep, like, leveling up infinitely? Tick says that, like, while he does find it fun to kind of, like, cut human flesh, he does also find it sad. Part of his torture is testing the limits of human bonds. Like, each torture is a window into how much another will do for another. How long will it take before you spill the beans? What's the strength of your family ties? He's definitely far more, like, in the head than Maria is about this. Like, he really wants to test reality. They both realize that their ideals are in the opposite direction. Tick believes only what, like, takes shape to exist. I think in order for something to take shape, it needs to effectively be severed in some way. It needs to be separate from everything to be shaped. For example, if there's a blob and you can't differentiate like what's what. um, If you get like a star star stencil sorry, and squish the blob, then you effectively have created a star blob, right? That star blob is going to be like separate to like the rest of the blob, right? Because you've used like the stencil. I think this idea also applies to family bonds for Tick. Family ties are intangible and quite frankly don't have shape. So I guess he doesn't believe in them, and he deep down wants to believe in them though. He wants to believe that things that there are things without shape that will not break. Maria, on the other hand, wants her blade to be able to cut anything and everything. In effect, Maria wants to make a shape out of everything. That's why they both acknowledge that their ideals are on opposite ends. Tick wants to like test himself too. He wants to see how much he can take before his duty, um, like, before, um, like, he wants to see how much of, like, torture and stuff he can take before his duty to, like, the Gandors croaks. He talks about how, um, how they're entering a group of enemies, basic, like, their base, so there's a good chance that he might, like, die. Maria plants her blade at his neck for saying this, that he should believe in her strength at all costs. Tick isn't phased at all, and he kind of accepts it. And we find out that they both passed the house that they were supposed to go to. So what this means is that the people at the door are not them. It's either Ronnie and Ennis or Lava. Now, this is where um, like my kind of analysis for like Light Novel 6 kind of ends. Because um, I haven't made enough content, basically. I kind of just accidentally read through it. Um, but yeah, like the next episode will be starting off with Light Novel 7. Um, not even like at the start, it will just kind of jump into it. So, sorry about that, guys, but that's just how it is. Anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Thank you.